Rennsport, or RS, was a moniker given to a special class of Porsche. It started with a 550A RS Spider, then eventually made its way to the 1957 718 RSK. Then various 718s of the very early 1960s, you know, those legendary hill climbers. There are RS models like the 991 GT3 RS, and most recently, the 2022 718 GT4 RS that boggles the mind and quickens the pulse. But possibly the granddaddy of them all, and arguably one of the most collectible Porsches of all time, is none other than the Ducktail 911 Carrera RS 2.7 of 1973. Welcome to Porsche, never substituted. I'm your host, Will Veach, and today's episode is about the first Rinsport version of the 911. You can't talk about the 1973 911 Carrera RS without first talking about the success of the 917 in racing. The 917, as well documented, ran roughshod over the field from 1969 through 1973. Well, let me clarify. 1969 wasn't a great year for the 917, but 1970, on the other hand, saw the emergence of the race car and its dominance would begin. The 917 triumphed to such a degree in the Can-Am races that the series was modified and eventually dropped. But one thing stood out to Porsche during these years of racing, and this was the fact that the 917, while great for Porsche advertising, was not a car a daily driver could purchase. Ernst Furman, who we talked about in a previous episode and who took over as chairman, said of Can-Am, quote, that was a very interesting adventure, but one cannot constantly play on so many pianos. Now we are going to stay closer to production cars, close quote. In other words, the racing program was too costly and needed to be de-escalated. As much as Porsche loved racing and winning, the cost of the 917 was just too great, and after Ferdinand Piesch left Porsche for VW, it was decided that creating a new engine for the 3-liter class Group 5 would just be cost prohibitive. Furman was all for racing, and he said that, quote, racing is good for every car, close quote. That said, he also believed that Rinsport would help the 911 stay at the top of the Porsche line for at least a few more years into the 80s. Essentially, the end of an era for the 917 ushered in the genesis of the 911 RS. By May of 1972, real work on the 911 for racing began, and in June, a modified 2.7-liter prototype raced at the Osterreichring. I probably butchered that, but it was worth a shot. That car finished a respectable 10th, losing only to open two-seater race cars. So how did they go about getting the 911 to be more competitive as a GT racer? Well, first and foremost, they asked Norbert Singer to be in charge of the project. Singer was a young engineer that had an abundance of talents, not the least of which was just getting stuff done. Singer knew that in order to be competitive, the new 911 had to be light. It also had to be a car that you could buy from Porsche, as the FIA racing rules stated that 500 cars had to be produced by the factory. I want to pause here and talk about a term that is invariably connected, well, to every car, but one that you will hear in particular with the 911 RS, and that is homologation. Not to be confused with homogenization, which is what they do to dairy products, homologation is by definition the granting of approval by a government agency. So when you hear that term in this context, it simply means that you have to have 500 cars that were street-worthy. 
Now, there could be some few alterations after the cars were homologated, but by and large, the cars had to be able to be sold to the general public. Things like making the car lighter, for instance, was one of the things you were able to do. All right, getting back to Singer and his desire for a lighter car. Singer was able to reduce the weight to 900 kilograms or around 1,900 pounds for the lightweight and 2,300 pounds for the touring model, and we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. He did this by using steel that was cut thinner for the skin of the car. He also used thinner Belgian-made Glaverbell safety glass. The rear deck lid was fiberglass and held down by two rubber ski clamps. The interior was massively stripped down and featured, for lack of a better term, pole cords for the door handles and no sound dampening materials like carpet that would be replaced by rubber mats. One thing to note was also the removal of the regular shock absorbers that were replaced by Bill Stein, or Bill Steen, depending on where you live, gas pressurized shocks that shaved off nearly eight pounds. Lighter and faster was the directive, and they succeeded. To help with handling, rims were introduced that were six inches in the front and seven in the back, much to the chagrin of the sales department for some reason, the introduction of the different widths allowed the car to corner at a higher g-force than that of any other production model Porsche. These wider tires also meant that the 911 fenders would be wider as well and offer a differing look than that of the standard 911 at the time. Probably the most notable feature of the 911 RS is its spoiler. Known as the Bötzel, or roughly the ducktail, the new Carrera was unlike anything on the road. After sending the Carrera RS to the wind tunnel, several versions of the spoiler were explored and ultimately pared down until there was nothing left but the ducktail at the center of the deck lid. The result was a better drag coefficient and an improvement on the top speed. The downforce was improved and eventually a patent was granted on August 5th of 1972. Additional tests were being carried out as to where the best place on the lid the ducktail should be placed. According to historian and author Randy Leffingwell, when the styling department presented the first car, the engineers were startled. The Bötzel, or ducktail, was too low by the tune of 10 to 20 centimeters. Peter Falk, who ran the test department, ran endless laps to get the spoiler just right, and Tony Lapine's design team changed it. Why? Quote, because it looks better, close quote. But it just wasn't the looks. It also added the benefit of having better rear visibility as well as increased airflow to the engine compartment, which in turn decreased oil temperature. So, win-win. One thing that is easily overlooked is the name Carrera. Well, we're used to it now, but when the RS 2.7 was being considered, the Carrera name had been used for cars that were on the more exotic side, like that of the 904 Carrera GTS. The Carrera moniker hadn't been used in nearly 10 years and had perfect timing for the new RS model. With its bold negative Carrera graphic on the side, available in red, blue, or green striping, it is easy to tell what the car is. One of the favorite features of the RS is the Porsche name boldly positioned at the base of the ducktail. But would the car sell? Carl Ludvigsen, in Porsche Excellence Was Expected, notes that the sales department of Porsche in 1972 was not too pleased in having to try to sell the new Carrera. Remember, 500 cars had to be production-worthy and Porsche needed buyers for those cars. Added to the stress was that the new 2.7-liter motor was not yet approved in the United States, which was the largest market for Porsche, although the cars would make it over to the U.S. for those weekend racers and eventually be allowed to be sold. Now this is the part that kills me. The 1973 911 Carrera RS was listed at just above $11,000, 
which was only a few hundred dollars more than the then-current 911S. The costs were lower to have a more broad appeal for the prospective buyers. These are one of those times that you wish you had a time machine, but we'll talk about the price tag a little bit later. One thing that almost derailed the production of the 911 was its famous ducktail, believe it or not. Evidently, the German government refused to approve the new car due to the fact that cars were not allowed to have sharp edges or corners. Porsche bypassed the total approval process by going to the local office in Stuttgart and getting each car approved individually rather than in mass. The only caveat was that the amount of cars processed locally could not exceed more than 1,000. No worries there, as Porsche was only building 500 models. Randy Leffingwell describes it this way, quote, The first 500 cars were all assembled as lightweights. When each car reached .8 on the assembly line, with all necessary pieces in the car so it would function fully, but not yet ready for customer delivery, it was taken to the Zuvenhausen town scale. There, each car was weighed and certified. The cars then were returned to the factory and split off either for final inspection or returned to assembly to fit the customer options, close quote. To help generate interest and aid in sales, leadership who was eligible at Porsche each had a prototype car that they would drive to potential 911S buyers and attempt to sway them to buy the new RS instead. The car was then debuted at the Paris Salon on October 5th of 1972 and had pre-orders before the door even opened for 51 cars. What did the buyers at the Paris show think? Well, a week after the show ended, Porsche had sold all 500 cars that it had committed to produce. Not a bad problem to have. So like any reasonable company, Porsche produced an additional 500 cars and of course bumped the price up by 1,000 Deutschmarks. By July of 1973, the last of the 1,580 911s rolled off the line and of course, Porsche was over the 1,000 car allotment that the Motor Vehicle Authority said could be run through the local office to be certified. So what did Porsche do? Well, they did away with the ducktail on the lid. But for 185 Deutschmarks, the dealer could install it and then have the local office approve it. Another thing to note is that there were three variations for immediate sale at the time. The lightweight RS, the RS Touring that had basic creature comforts like carpet and sound dampeners, and the RSR, which was the racing version of the car. The RSR, or Super Carrera as it could be known, was the first Porsche six-cylinder to hit the 300-horsepower mark. Only 55 of those were produced between October 1972 and May of 1973. That car came with documents that plainly said, not for public highway. Fair enough, I suppose, as the RSR would do 0 to 112 seconds and was specifically made to be a race car. Another version of the car is the 1973 911 Carrera RSH, of which there are only 17. Now, there is currently one for sale, as of the date of this podcast, for $1.5 million at RM Sotheby's auctions. Cost of these cars have gone through the roof, and Haggerty lists them at around $1 million U.S. dollars on up. I'll throw up a link on neversubstituted.com so you can go take a look at that RSH. The press loved the car. Autocar said of the 911 Carrera RS that it is sensational, even by Porsche standards. Then they went on to say that, quote, the car puts the power down on the road. No wasteful attention getting wheel spin. It simply goes. Leaving a slow corner is one of the greatest and most satisfying pleasures of Carrera driving, close quote. Ludvigsen said that, quote, in short, the Carrera RS was like other 911 Porsches, only more so, close quote. 
Gordon Bruce wrote, quote, Temperamental it is not, but eager it most certainly is. You are left in no doubt of the caliber of machine in your command. So instantaneous is the throttle response, so agile is the chassis, close quote. What kind of power are we talking about? Well, 210 horsepower and 188 foot-pounds of torque from its 2.7-liter engine. 0 to 60 in 5.5 seconds, 0 to 100 in 15, and a maximum speed of over 150 miles per hour. For the 1974 model year, the car adopted a 3-liter engine and a heavier price tag, actually almost double. But nothing quite captures the imagination as the first. The 1973 911 Carrera RS 2.7. Thanks for listening. Please share and tell your friends, family, and fellow Porsche lover. I also want to hear from you. I'm collecting Porsche stories for future podcasts and would love to hear how your love affair with Porsche began. You can email us at stories at neversubstituted.com. Please support our podcast by going to neversubstituted.com and check out our shop, links, and some very cool stuff plus a preview of next week's show. Special thanks to Dennis Schrader Photography in Austin, Texas. You can see some amazing automotive prints and artwork at fastlanephotoworks.com. Also, much of the information from this podcast is from Porsche. Excellence was expected by Carl Ledvigson. I'm Will Veach. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope to see you again soon.